Hi, y'all. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, I am really excited to bring you a conversation with the award-winning teacher, librarian, and author of the brand new book, Too Much, Jolene Gutierrez. Her new book is a reassuring, rhyming picture book that's all about sensory overload, an important topic to be discussing as part of back-to-school season and, of course, all year long. If you listen to the end of the episode, you'll learn more about a a special giveaway of this book, as well as ways to connect with Jolene, today's guest. Before we get into the episode, I do want to just touch on a little bit of business. Now that it's August, I've also started my three-month generative AI cohort learning with a group of 50 educators from around the world who have questions about the ways in which generative AI is going to shift practice in the classroom and in society. Now, that cohort with Shifting Schools sold out, and we heard from some of our Shifting Schools newsletter subscribers that they wanted the opportunity to join another cohort that started in September. So we have launched that next cohort. Again, each month brings you a free recorded or attend live 30-minute webinar that answers the specific questions of our participants. That's why we have capped registration at just 50 participants. You also get a ready-to-roll resource that leverages our generative AI framework. You also get a breakdown on the most important news around generative AI. We do all of the research and all of the curation so that you can take a little less time doing that research. We also provide you with prompts to tinker with, and we also give you access to a Slack space that's optional if you'd like to connect with cohort participants. Now, I wanted to take the time to tell listeners of this show about that generative AI cohort because we are also always talking about centering equity and inclusion in our conversations about generative AI. As a listener of this show, you can actually join the cohort while space remains open for half off if you register before August 15th. If you're interested in learning about getting 50% off the three-month generative AI cohort, and learning more about what you get when you sign up, please head over to the show notes. You will find a link as well as a promo code to get your special discount. All right, now back to today's episode. Let me tell you more about Jolene Gutierrez. She's an award-winning teacher librarian who has been working with diverse learners at Denver Academy for the past 28 years. When she was little, she would squint to protect her eyes from bright lights and cover her ears to protect herself from loud noises. Now she wears sunglasses when she's outside and brings earplugs if she thinks she'll need them. She didn't immediately recognize her own kids' sensory processing issues because their struggles looked different from her own. She hopes that this brand new book, Too Much, is going to help caregivers and educators recognize and support sensory processing challenges. Again, over there in the show notes, you'll learn all about connecting with Jolene as well as more about 
her brand new amazing book, Too Much, and links to her website, www.jolenegutierrez.com. All right, let's get into this week's conversation. Your brand new book, Too Much, is bound to help children, parents, caregivers, and educators have deeply rich conversations about sensory overload and sensory systems. Can you talk to listeners of this show about why that conversation is so critical? It's one that I think has been absent from classrooms for a long time. Certainly wasn't being talked about um, uh, you know, a very long time ago when I was a kid in a classroom. And I'm glad to see that this resource is here to spark that conversation. Um, why is it one that you think is important to be had and sustained? Thank you so much, Tricia. Yeah, so I feel like, well, I, I want to share a story about my daughter um, because she is the reason I've written this book. And uh, being misunderstood as a child can change everything in whatever capacity that is. And for her, when she started kindergarten, um, she was almost instantly misunderstood. She would push kids to get them out of her space uh, or, you know, things like if a child yelled in her ear, she would shove them. I didn't know what the antecedent behavior was at the beginning. I just knew my child was getting in trouble for being physical and I didn't know how to support her. And the principal was no help. This person is no longer a principal at that school or anywhere else. So I feel like it's okay to say that that principal said, I don't know what's wrong with your, your daughter. I don't think she gets it. And that was really hard as a parent to hear. So I was flailing, trying to figure out how to support my daughter and trying to figure out what was going on after like a year and a half of digging and asking teachers, what happened? What happened before she shoved this child or hit this child? I finally started getting some of the pieces. It was during music class. It was during recess. It was during PE, during these really unstructured, loud physical times. And she was overwhelmed. We saw a play therapist. We went for testing. We finally figured out this is sensory processing disorder and some social skills issues. And, you know, like there are other things too. And we started, then I could advocate, then I could address this. But in that time period, my daughter was labeled as the bad kid. Um, sorry, it makes me really emotional. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. I could see she had checked out. She was in first grade and parents started othering her. She was excluded from parties. It changed her entire life. When one of her teachers at the school that she was at said, she can't walk down the hall without, you know, pausing and feeling the wall. She can't stay in line. She can't like she kind of can't be this Stepford child. She can't fit this cookie cutter mold and she's not going to do well here. I thought, what, what kind of school is this? And why is this not working for her? So we did find another school. We moved her. I had been looking for a while and I do work at a school for diverse learners, but it's a private school and I couldn't afford to bring her with me. So I brought some of that knowledge and some of my colleagues' knowledge to my daughter's experience, but I thought, what about all of the other families who don't know, who can't figure out, who don't have the resources? If you aren't in that child's shoes, you don't know what's going on. And 
it can ruin a child's life just from the very beginning. And these are the most creative, beautiful souls in the world. You know, the kids who sense things so deeply are the most artistic, beautiful kids. So that for me, um, and, you know, as I went through the counseling and testing process with my daughter, I'm filling out all this paperwork and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me also, you know, like lights are too bright, sounds are too loud, clothes are too scratchy. I have really major issues with texture of food and things like that. So, I mean, obviously she gets it from her mom, but I still didn't see that in my own child because hers was a little different. Hers was the touch thing um, and sounds in her ears, you know, and things like that. So I wasn't recognizing it, even though I have some similar issues. So and I don't know if issues is the right word, but, you know, I have sensory differences, sensitivities. Um, so it took so long. And looking back, I have so many regrets about that. I mean, my daughter wouldn't be the amazing adult she is now. And she's 23 and she's so successful. Once we switched her to another school, she was amazing. And I worked closely with the administration there to say here these are the issues we know of you know I didn't want to hide anything I wanted to be totally transparent and here's what we found that works for her and as long as we kind of knew our child and were able to advocate teachers were happy to support that it wasn't we just didn't know what we were doing the teachers or her parents at that at the original school so knowledge is power and you don't know what you don't know, but the regrets that I have, it's like, I want to help any other child who's going through this to feel seen. Like you're not the only one. You're not a bad kid. There's nothing wrong with you. And I want every parent and caregiver to read this and think, oh, that's what's going on with this child. Because most of us have kids in our classes who are overwhelmed by different sensory issues. I appreciate how difficult it must be to kind of like relive those memories. And I really value actually, you know, you expressing just what an emotional experience that is, because I think, um, I, I think, again, labeling students as bad is never a practice that should even be considered. And I think sometimes folks underestimate just how damaging that can be and how, you know, even just for you as the parent, how, you know, how that sits in your in your heart. And I, I think it's a really important message for folks to just sit with and think about how are we meeting even situations that maybe we don't understand with compassion and curiosity rather than rushing to judgment, because that does do damage you know i can hear it in your voice even in you retelling it from the past um you know how harmful that can be and that's you know i i love that the book does center around one experience because i think humanizing the issue is really important in terms of understanding and, and grappling with what that first person experience is like um, because as you said like there are many spaces of the school environment that are hugely overwhelming and i think the book does such a great job um the illustrations as well of like really putting the reader 
into that perspective of, you know, what does that feel like? So thank you for for really kind of sharing the the feelings with us, even though, again, I can sense how how hard that is. I think it's important for people to realize, like, we can do more um, to make a difficult situation so much easier for folks. Thank you. And I think the compassion piece is that you mentioned is so huge. If we just pause for a minute and think, what might this child be feeling? What might be going on rather than rush to judgment? Right. You know, um, I, I have a couple of quotes that I wanted to share with these people, these people's permission. Um, so Kristen is a, a parent who was able to read um, an early copy of Too Much. And she is on Instagram as reading with Red and the Magpie. This is a quote from her. She said, I spent a lifetime hearing how my sensitivity was a weakness. And your book just touched the parts of my childhood self that I am still trying to heal. And it made me so grateful to have this book to share with my girl so she can feel seen and supported. And it is, it's, these are scars that, can last forever, you know? Um, and then Mike has no experience with sensory overwhelm, but he said, quote, as a parent, I've heard a lot about sensory overload over the years, but this was the first time I understood what it feels like to live with this condition. And I think that's the other side of this book that hopefully people can step into someone else's shoes, as you mentioned. And this is just one perspective. Like I said, I wasn't even recognizing the same, you know, same issue in my daughter um, that I have because it looked a little different. So it's still sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees or, you know, I was too close to, to what was going on or whatever. But this is this is one fictional girl's experience, but hopefully it allows readers to get into that mindset and be more compassionate. And I think Angel Chang's art does such a beautiful job too of showing that and allowing us to really immerse ourselves into that world. It truly is an immersive text. I mean, um, and I think further than the education piece, you also really show how Yes, when we come to behaviors with curiosity and compassion and we ask questions, we also can make some shifts that have a real difference from students. Like, you know, I've seen this in my practice. There was a time a long time ago where I thought like, oh, having like a scent in my classroom will be like a really nice, you know, uh, transition for students. Like now we're coming into the minty space, but I had not factored in how you know, maybe I liked that scent, but for other students, it was like way too powerful, way too distracting. Um, and I, you know, essentially like I was noticing this one student like had to like sit way on the other side of the, what was an oil diffuser. Um, and they just, they were very distracted by it. And, you know, we had a conversation and they just said like, I, you know, I really cannot focus on anything because of that smell. Like, I'm really sorry. I know a lot of other people like it, but it's just like when I'm in this space, it's the only thing that I can focus on. Um, and it was like, it, the smell doesn't have to be there, right? Like I can get rid of the oil diffuser. Um, and it made such a dramatic difference. It was like such a small shift, but 
huge, huge, powerful difference for that student. And your book comes with great guidance on how we can rethink our sensory diet. And that's a concept that um, I, I think is great for us all to be thinking about, talking about more. And I'm wondering if you might have an example of a, a shift in a sensory diet that's been beneficial for you or beneficial in your home. That's a great question. So I think for anyone with sensory sensitivities, as we grow up, we become better able to deal with certain things. We develop coping strategies or mechanisms. So some of the things I do, I just do because I've learned to do those things, but I get really distracted by other sounds um, and noises. And so when I'm in a space where I really need to focus and I'm not the teacher, um, you know, I'm in a lecture setting, I'm at a conference, I am constantly taking notes to try to focus, force my brain to focus on just that sound of the speaker and me recording that sound. Um, it's not always possible, you know, like parties and things like that and conferences sometimes when there are side conversations, it's so hard because your brain wants to attend to everything and you can't, you just get little pieces of the story. So I do that as one thing. I'm also super fidgety. So I have jewelry that I fidget with. I have a fidget ring bracelets. Um, I try to do, and I taught my kids to, you know, like less intrusive types of fidgets where you're pressing your feet into the ground or you're mm. pressing your hands against each other to give yourself some feedback, your body, some feedback, um, and to get some of that extra energy out or to wake yourself up or whatever you're needing at that moment. So lots of movements, lots of note-taking, um, for me, certain scents. I love essential oils, but I've learned that with my students as well. Um, I still have essential oils in my library, but I just hand a bottle to a student and say, smell this. Mm -hmm. Is this helpful for you? You know, and I, I'm not putting things in the diffuser as much only when I'm in there by myself. And then I'll turn it off when the classes are in there. Um, because I've learned that too. It's, this is overwhelming. This scent is too much for this kid. Um, so those are some of the things I do. And I really feel like I would encourage adults to, like we talked about kind of observing kids, give give kids a little bit of space and a little bit of voice. Because when I was a child, I was viewed as like this high maintenance picky kid. Um, there were certain foods and textures I didn't like to eat. So my dad was like, you're picky, you're picky. Um, there were definitely certain clothes I hated wearing because they were uncomfortable. It wasn't about me trying to be high maintenance. It was just about me trying to advocate for my own comfort. And so, you know, if you watch your kids or your students and just observe some of those things like you did with the, with the essential oils, you know, how can I make things better for you? How can I better support you? and let kids kind of think about that. That way they're better able to advocate for themselves in the future too, because not all teachers are going to be totally tuned in or opening to, open to hearing things. Yeah, and I think that 
as you were saying, that self-advocacy and really maintaining your own boundaries, that's a lifelong skill that is so important in every dynamic. And, you know, to expand on my class mint smell anecdote, you know, when I had that conversation with the student and, and I just said, like, it's no problem, like, I'm, I'm going to just remove it. They were initially, like, kind of surprised and then almost had this feeling of guilt. And I was like, you know what, as much as I strive to really make sure there's not this huge hierarchy or power imbalance between myself and my students, it is there because that has been that student's experience in almost every single other educational environment. And I think, again, like checking in with students and checking in with one another. You know, I even think about conversations I have, I've had with my wife who she's also very sensitive to smell um, so when she's cooking, she insists like every other door in our house has to be closed because she can't stand the idea of like cooking smells being in other rooms. Um, and she loves the overhead, you know, like fan. But for me, that sound is like I cannot focus on anything else when that sound is on. So like we've come to kind of this this compromise of like when that fan is used for certain smells and not for everything. Um, but you know, even as an adult, like my wife and I have talked about how our schooling was one in which like, yes, you just be uncomfortable and that's it. And don't advocate necessarily for what can often be just like a minor little tweak. And that's not what we want, right? We want folks to feel like they can voice when something is making them uncomfortable, because I think if we can rehearse some of those situations where the discomfort is not necessarily like you know a really profound difficult conversation to have then we can work up and have that competence to have the harder more difficult conversations that we are likely going to have at some point in our life so I, I just really I, I think that having conversations about sensory diets is beneficial for every student not just the students who um, have certain sensitivities Jolene, as a teacher librarian, you're all too well aware that, you know, books have power and books like too much can be transformative. They help us better understand ourselves, our friends, our family, our peers. What influence did your role as a teacher librarian have when you were crafting this book and putting it together? Um, was that other identity of yours kind of on the back burner? You know, I, I mean, as a teacher librarian, I definitely see books that already exist in the world. I see places where I feel there are holes for certain, you know, areas that there should be books. Um, I see some of my own students' needs. And as an author, really what I strive to do is to fill those holes. So as a teacher, I love to teach stories of different people doing different things. I love to build compassion. I love to, you know, like I, I love those kinds of lessons. And so, you know, those are the kinds of books I like to put into the world, the books that I wish exist, exist or existed for me as a parent or for me as a teacher. And too much is definitely that. Um, it's based as I mentioned, primarily on my daughter and my son. He's younger. So my daughter is the child that I learned to parent on and figure things out with. Um, and, and it's based on my own issues. But then, you know, like I, of course, couldn't 
not include some of my experiences with my students. The school that I teach at is um, Denver Academy, and it's a school for diverse learners. And oftentimes that means neurodiversity. So we have kids with certain diagnoses, ADHD, dyslexia, um, autism spectrum, but then we also have kids who don't have official diagnoses. And a lot of times there's kind of comorbidity of things, as I mentioned, you know, so sensory sensitivities are common. Um, and that's something I see all the time. And I do feel, I think it would be so helpful. I think everyone has sensory preferences, at least, if not sensitivities. And I think it would be so helpful, like you mentioned, with in, in a classroom to kind of start the year. What are some of your favorite things to smell? What are your th favorite things not to smell? You know, like what are like things you love, things you don't like so much. And that way you as a teacher know how to best support your kids too. I started every class year when my kids were young with an email to the teacher. Here's what's going on. Here's how we're supporting our child. Here's what we've found works best. Just because I wanted to start that partnership. I wanted to just kind of lay all my cards on the table. Like here's everything I know and here's what we've found. And that was really helpful. And it was always like, this is never is never a secret. This is never anything to be ashamed of. We're going to play therapy. We're doing occupational therapy. We're doing social skills classes. That was something that was always shared and talked about. It's nothing to be like hidden or anything like that, you know, just like all mental health support. Um, this is what we need to support us. And that really helped. And I think that helped my kids to kind of see, okay, this is how mom is advocating for us. This is how I will continue to advocate for myself. Cause I only did that in like lower elementary grades. Um, and then they took it on their own, but I think it's just so important. Um, and I also model in my classroom, my own sensitivities. I think for us as teachers to own certain things is really powerful for kids to see, you know, I, tell my kids I'm afraid of really long books. <laughs> that's not a sensory thing. That's just a, and they're like, you're a librarian, you know? And also I've not read every book in this library. Oh my gosh. You know, like they think they have these thoughts about these stereotypes about certain jobs or certain adults or whatever. So I, I like to dispel those myths and help them understand it's okay. It's okay. I, I like audiobooks. I like graphic novels. It's, you know, um, and I tell them things like I get really overwhelmed with sound. So if you guys are having side conversations, I'm going to get super distracted and I might lose my place in our lesson. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot for me. Or I tell them I can't stand the feeling of the like plastic mylar on book jackets that yes. librarians put on book jackets. So if you need to take that jacket off, it's okay. And I've used scotch tape, not book tape. So you can just easily cut it off and we'll put it back on later. Like I try to normalize some of those things. So they see that there are things that I am challenged by and that's okay. And they can be challenged by things too. Um, yeah. And the other thing for me as a librarian in writing too much is I love back matter in books. I love mm -hmm. information at the back of the book. And that is in almost every book I've written um, because I feel like it's so powerful and this book is no different and I worked with some occupational therapists and counselors I revisited my own notes because this 
the sensory diet and the sensory systems and things like that are not things that just stay in my head, you know? So I definitely did some extra work to make sure that that was robust and vetted. Um, But I hope that that information will be powerful for caregivers um, and teachers as they're reading through the book. And I think it makes it you know, just such an efficient, I want to learn about this issue. But, you know, of course, educators are also stretched so thinly. So, you know, I might not have time to get on and be reading medical journals and, you know, a 350 page book about this issue. But I often recommend actually to school leaders who are looking into issues of inclusion that children's literature is such a great place to start where Actually, you are going to learn a lot and you can get through these books in a short amount of time. And at the same time, you have a, you know, a a child facing and a parent caregiver facing resource to share, Um, you know, and I for folks who are thinking, wait, what does back matter? Um, You know, you've got some great definitions and recommendations there. So for folks who are not familiar with that term, it's something that I feel like I've noticed is becoming a lot more common in uh, the realm of children's lit. And I think that's a wonderful trend. I hope to continue seeing that. Um, And you kind of take it a step further where you also already have compiled some resources for teachers who are planning on using this. Um, I'm wondering if you want to talk about some of the teacher-facing resources that are there. So they've got the book, they want to use it um, in a, a deep, meaningful way. Can you can you talk to what's already there that's going to save teachers additional time as well? In the in the teacher and caregiver guide that I have on my website, um, we've tried to include different activities um, so that kids can delve a little more deeply into the text. We have some art activities, um, deep breathing or meditational types of activities things like coloring sheets and mazes as well. This book is geared a little younger. The back matter is high content, high level content, but it is geared younger. It was originally written as a board book text and I believe it will be released in 18 to 24 months as a board book. But that's, so that is something to know going into the book. And so that caregiver teacher's guide is also geared kind of toward the younger crowd, but Um, you know, as we were talking about sensory inventory kind of a thing, it makes me think I should probably create something, some kind of sheet for teachers to help assist them with that in the classroom as well. Well, I'm hoping you end up hearing from many educators. Again, the, the timing of the book coming out as part of like back to school season is great because, you know, I think these conversations about our environmental preferences having those conversations straight away is very important to make sure that that classroom environment is thinking about every learner who is a part of that classroom. Jolene, for schools who are thinking they'd love to perhaps come and have you, I'm just thinking like so many school leaders would really benefit from having you come and speak to specifically their parent caretaker audience as well. For folks who would love to reach out to you to see how they can connect um, and have a book talk or, uh, you know, again, just take this one step further, what's the best way for them to reach out uh, and connect with you to see about possibly inviting you into their community, either in person or virtually? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, My website is www.joleneguterres.com. 
joelguti.com and it's J-O-L-E-N-E-G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z. And then my email is writerjolene at gmail.com. So it's W-R-I-T-E-R-J-O-L-E-N-E at gmail.com. Great. I'll be sure that that is over there in the show notes for, for folks to find. Um, I also, you know, we're, we're connected on uh, Twitter or, you know, if, if when this comes out, that's still what people are calling it. Uh, and I just I love seeing, you know, children's lit creators. That community is so positive. They're supporting each other. But as you were saying, this book also it fills a hole. Uh, it, it is starting a conversation that there was a void for. And I think listeners it is on us if as readers we want to see more books like this continue to be published that we support them so i always advocate for uh you know if you're on goodreads leave a review even just mention that it's on your to be read shelf um i often also will say like get in touch with your local librarian if they haven't pre-ordered it you know I have found that every librarian who I've ever been connected with loves knowing what folks want more of from their community. What else could readers do uh, that could support you and too much uh, moving forward? Is there anything else that you would love to see uh, readers or prospective readers do to uh, get behind the book and make sure that we've got more stories like this forthcoming? I appreciate all of those suggestions so much. They're perfect. Um, yeah, Goodreads is so important. Amazon, even though it's, I, I prefer bookshop.org, Amazon reviews are important. A lot of people do purchase through Amazon. So if you're leaving a review on Goodreads, I would encourage you to just copy and paste that same review onto Amazon if you purchased from there or if they'll allow you. They have some rules about purchasing and things like that. Um, and I love the suggestion to reach out to your local public library. Also, just spread the word. Tell a friend, especially if you have friends who have younger kids. I mean, this book, to me, it's the books are never about the sales because the kid lit world, you know, like it's not a get rich quick place. It's just everybody who's doing this is doing it because they care because they're doing it from the heart. And I think that's why it's such a beautiful community. Um, but to me, this book is a book of my heart that really would have changed my life and my kids' lives had I known about things sooner. So, you know, share this information, let parents know, share it. If you you have, you know, if you're at a preschool or early childhood education center, share that information um, far and wide. That would be amazing. Jolene, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about Too Much, which readers, I absolutely adored, adored this book. Um, I, I love children's literature. I read a lot of it. And this is a book that will stick with me for a long time. So congratulations, Jolene, to you for bringing it to the universe. Thank you so, so much, Tricia. I appreciate it so much. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to this conversation with Jolene to talk about her book. If you happen to be in the Denver area coming up this August 5th, this Saturday, you can join her book launch event. You can learn more about that by heading over to the show notes. And 
If you are located in the US and you have a street address, I would invite you to enter a free giveaway to get your copy of this amazing book. In the show notes, you will find my email address. You can reach out and let me know. Um, Just with a very short sentence, listen to the episode. Please enter me in the giveaway. I will be reaching out to the winner of that giveaway by the end of next week. So that gives you seven days to enter this amazing opportunity to get a free copy of an outstanding book. See you again next Thursday. 